From minute one, the Russo brothers slam the gas pedal to the floorboards and rarely let up. The pacing of Infinity War is almost as relentless as Thanos. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. Today on the Story Geeks podcast, I am doing a story breakdown for Infinity War. We'll be examining the plot, pacing, characters, and premise and taking a look at some of the techniques a writer uses when crafting a story. Today, that story is, as I mentioned earlier, Infinity War. Does Infinity War work? Was it executed well? I'll give you my take. If you haven't listened already, I did the same thing for Infinity Gauntlet, the comic, which you can listen to for free on our main podcast channel. The Infinity Gauntlet comic supposedly inspired parts of this film, so if that interests you, definitely go check it out. Also, all of our story breakdowns contain spoilers, as does this one. If you haven't seen Infinity War, you're going to be part of the minority because a bunch of people have seen Infinity War. But if you haven't seen it, you might want to watch it before listening to this podcast because it will contain spoilers. Earlier this week, Helen O'Hara from the Empire podcast joined Daryl and I on the Story Geeks to dig deeper into Infinity War. What deep themes and interesting concepts does Infinity War explore? Listen to our thoughts here on the Story Geeks podcast if you haven't already. On today's aftercast, what I record after this, we'll be looking at the needs and wants of all the main characters that appear in Infinity War. From Thanos to Cap to Scarlet Witch, we'll dig deeper into all the major characters in an effort to determine what makes them compelling and interesting. Become a Patreon supporter of the Story Geeks for $2 a month or more and gain access to that aftercast and all of our past and future aftercasts as well. You can find all of our premium content at thestorygeeks.com. All right, let's break down Infinity War. In order to really examine Infinity War, I'll be using a couple of writing tools that I love. The first is Sid Field's Paradigm. The Paradigm was designed by Sid Field to ensure that the pace and plot of the story create an engaging audience experience. He studied a bunch of great stories to determine what they all had in common, and the paradigm is what he came up with. It's primarily a screenwriting tool, but I use it for all the stories I write, whether they're screenplays or not, and I think its application can be used in a far broader context. The paradigm is a visual outline that divides the story up into three acts and multiple inflection points that drive the story forward. When we break down a story, we're actually looking for examples of those inflection points. We're trying to seek them out in the story to see if the writers crafted the story into a compelling narrative. Now, the paradigm is a you know general guideline, and so not all stories will stick to the paradigm. And spoiler alert, Infinity War doesn't, in my opinion. But we'll still look for the three acts and the critical inflection points to see how the writers applied those techniques to the, the story we're looking at today. And if not, we'll take a look at what other techniques they used instead of using Sid Field's paradigm. If you want to know more about the paradigm, check out Sid Field's book, Screenplay. The second tool I use in my own storytelling that I'll use for this story breakdown as well is Leos Agrees the Premise, which he covers in detail in his book, The Art of Dramatic Writing. The premise defines the point the story is trying to make. The premise serves as the key concept that connects the story to the human experience. The premise is often the thing that makes us reflect on a film to see if it rings true in our own lives. The premise is a fantastic tool as well, and it speaks to why we care about the stories we love in the first place. So those are the writing tools we're going to use. Highly recommend you check out those resources if you're a writer or you're interested in writing. Most of you guys have probably seen 
Infinity War already, but the quick synopsis is Thanos, who up to this point in the MCU has really only been seen in some brief scenes here and there. Well, he is looking for powerful Infinity Stones to add to his Infinity Gauntlet. If he finds those stones, he'll be immensely powerful. His end goal is to wipe out half the population of the universe in order to preserve it, which means, of course, that the Avengers must assemble to prevent that from happening. As you can already tell from my description, the protagonist of this story is Thanos. He's the one with the goal that he desperately wants to achieve, and that makes him the protagonist. The antagonist in this story is really more of a collective. It's the Avengers, not particularly any one Avenger, though I did throw out a shout-out to Thor as being maybe a little bit more instrumental in this story or has a, a little bit more of an arc than some of the other characters. Um, but it's really the whole team of heroes that's trying to prevent Thanos from achieving his particular goal. So with that, let's jump into some more of a story breakdown. As I alluded to earlier, the paradigm doesn't fit super well here as an outline for the story's structure. I think that's partially because we've got so many characters and we have to deal with all of the different things that they have to do. Following Thanos and his pursuit of Infinity Stones allows for more inflection points than we might traditionally see in a story. And that's not a problem. This is one of the best movies of 2018, and it was praised by critics and fans alike. But it does make the plot a bit more unique. It also means that the story plows forward at breakneck speed like Thanos through Asgardians. Um, someone told me, I think it was Justin Weaver, one of the co-hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, uh, that the Russo brothers looked at the film as Thanos' film and partially a little bit as Thor's film. And that makes a lot of sense because the reason I bring that up is that the major inflection points I'm finding in this story involve both those characters, Thanos and Thor. And, of course, that makes sense. That that's what they were kind of looking at as the main arcs that take us through this story. One thing that also makes this story arc very unique and this happens more often in movies that have guaranteed sequels, is that we know Infinity War will be followed up by Avengers Endgame, right? So Avengers Infinity War will be followed up by Avengers Endgame, and it's coming out in a little bit here. We don't have to wait too much longer. And that means that this isn't the end of this story. So if you look at the films as more of a five-hour movie, or possibly even a six-hour movie, based on what we're hearing, how long Endgame is going to be, that means that Infinity War and Endgame are kind of two halves of the same film. And that changes a lot from a plot perspective because it changes how you're going to address the plot specifically. So the last time I did a story breakdown, I did a story breakdown on Infinity Gauntlet, which fit the paradigm and the traditional three-act structure pretty well. Infinity War doesn't fit it as well, so let's dive in and see why. Act one is the setup, and it's going to give us a definition of how this story is set up to begin with. What conflict are we looking for? One of the unique things about act one and the overall setup of Infinity War is that we could make the argument that it's really long. And that makes sense if we consider Infinity War and Endgame to be one big story. The central conflict in the film, just like in Infinity Gauntlet, the comic actually, is introduced right away. Thanos in this story is hunting down Infinity Stones. Now, granted, that's not the same plot as Infinity Gauntlet, because in Infinity Gauntlet, like we talked about before, Thanos already has all of the stones and already has the Infinity Gauntlet. And if you want to know how Thanos got the Infinity Gauntlet in the comics, you'd have to read the Thanos Quest, which is a two-issue prequel to the Infinity Gauntlet series. 
But anyways, that's way different than an Infinity War. I think the main similarity there is that uh, the Collector does show up. He does have one of the stones, and Thanos does get that stone from him. So there's a similarity there, obviously. Um, Thanos takes one of the stones from the Collector in Infinity War and in Infinity Gauntlet, the comic. The other character that we see that was kind of fun to see in the Thanos Quest comic was Grandmaster, which, of course, we know he's from Thor Ragnarok, so it's kind of cool to see him. He actually has an Infinity Stone in the Thanos Quest comic as well. As a total side note, I was not a big fan. If you listen to the podcast that I was doing about this, you probably picked up on this, but I was not a giant fan of Infinity Gauntlet. Um, I did actually enjoy the Thanos Quest, so if you want to go out and check out the Thanos Quest, I thought that was a pretty interesting story. It's not very philosophically or theologically stimulating, but it was fun. So let's get back to Infinity War. Why is Thanos hunting down these Infinity Stones? Well, the Mad Titan has been going from planet to planet, wiping out half the populations of each planet he visits. But the universe is a big place, and Thanos doesn't have time for all that. So he builds the Infinity Gauntlet in order to save himself a lot of time... With the Infinity Gauntlet, he can snap his fingers and kill half the population of the universe in a nanosecond. So, of course, like, why wouldn't you want to save yourself some time, right? We learn all of those things, what Thanos is trying to do and how he's trying to do it in the setup, which I would say lasts from the start of the film up until Captain America, Black Widow, Falcon, Scarlet Witch, Vision, up until they defeat Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive. When they do that, that's sort of when the setup ends. Why do I think that's the end of Act 1 and the end of the setup? Well, at that point, the only heroes we haven't introduced are Black Panther and the other Wakandans and Bucky Barnes. The central conflict and the consequences of the protagonist, Thanos, achieving his goal are known at this point. We know what he's trying to do. We know how he's trying to do it. We get that. And most of the antagonists have been introduced at that point as well. So it seems like that's kind of the setup of this film. And that would mean that Act 1 and the setup would end at about the 45-minute mark or so. Based on the paradigm itself, I would say that's a very long setup. Normally, we would expect to see a setup that's more like 30 minutes, maybe 25 to 30 minutes. But it does work, and I think it works for two reasons. One, there's a ton of action in that 45-minute period. So a lot of times, if if there's a setup to a story, there's not enough action, there's not enough driving the story forward for a long setup to work well. It's kind of like, why isn't this movie getting to where it needs to go. But this is not a boring movie, so I think it works really well. Two, there are several really important inflection points that occur in that 45-minute period. So let's go over the inflection points that occur in Act 1, what I'm considering Act 1, really quickly. The first is when Thanos takes the Space Stone from the Asgardians. In the process, he kills Loki and Heimdall, I believe it's an inflection point because he sends his cronies to Earth and Heimdall sends the Hulk to Earth, which then prompts the Avengers to join the battle, meaning that it's taking... Uh, It's taking the story and turning it in a different direction. It's no longer about the Asgardians. It's about something else. And we're headed right into that inflection point. Um, Thor meeting the Guardians of the Galaxy is another big inflection point because it drives that team into action as well. They split up to go do separate things. Obviously, uh, Rocket Raccoon and Thor go to get Thor another weapon, whereas the Guardians go to nowhere to face off against Thanos. I think it's a really compelling setup. I really dig it. It sets everything up while pushing everything into action at the same time. Um, And one thing I've noticed for movies that work really well from a plotting standpoint 
but that don't follow the paradigm is that they actually have more inflection points. So there's more things driving the action forward and keeping us really engaged in what's going on on screen. So the more inflection points you have, the more exciting the story is going to be because you're constantly changing it up and you're constantly giving us new things to sort of pursue, um, which I think Infinity War does really well. There's one last thing I'll say about Act 1 and the setup. It is long, and the movie itself is pretty long, but if we look at Infinity War and the upcoming Endgame as one giant five-hour story, we would expect the setup to be a lot longer, maybe more like an hour or an hour and 15 minutes as opposed to 45 minutes. So this is somewhere in between, and it seems to work really well. But let's go ahead and transition out of Act 1 and into Act 2, where most of the conflict is going to occur. We also should find some significant inflection points in Act 2. Usually we refer to the inflection point that happens right in the middle of the movie as the midpoint. One of the really fascinating things about second acts in general, not necessarily Infinity War, but stories in general, is that a lot of them start to stall a little bit because you know the, the setup is really intriguing and it takes us to a place where it's like, yeah, what's going to happen next? But then you have this giant Act 2. Act 2 is generally the longest act in a three-act story. And a lot of times that can mean that the conflict can get a little boring or that it can stall. Well, Infinity War does not stall at all. It just keeps charging forward. I mean, we've got the Guardians of the Galaxy heading to nowhere, to the Collector's hideout to protect the Reality Stone. There's a confrontation there with Thanos. Um, it turns out that he already has the Reality Stone, and he's been tricking them this entire time. We dug into that a little bit more with Helen O'Hara on the Dig Deeper podcast earlier this week. Um, another key inflection point happens early on in Act 2, and that's Thanos gets the Reality Stone. So each time that Thanos achieves a stone, an Infinity Stone, I feel like that's an inflection point. So think about it. Every time Thanos gets an Infinity Stone, it sets off another chain of events. And this one is no different. Um, he, in this case... He goes from trying to achieve the Reality Stone and then to capturing Gamora, which is an inflection point in and of itself because without Gamora, he'll never get to the Soul Stone. So every time Thanos gets a stone, it serves as kind of like a big inflection point for the story because he's going to go head off to, into a different place, a different location with probably different enemies to go get another stone. Captain America and crew head to Wakanda to enlist the help of Black Panther and, more importantly, Shuri. And, of course, the other Wakandans and Bucky Barnes as well. Stark, Spidey, and Doctor Strange overcome Ebony Ma and head to Titan. And there we see, you know, quickly, Doctor Strange uses the Time Stone to determine what potential futures could be, including the future wherein they beat Thanos. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I do want to pause here to discuss the use of time travel. Um which is possible here because of the time stone. And I, I have written a time travel story. I've written Time Slingers. You've probably heard me talk about that before. I've written a book called Time Slingers. It's all about time travel. And when I wrote that book, I had to really study time travel. And I will say time travel as an option can be really frustrating, and it does kind of frustrate me here in Infinity War. And here's why. Why doesn't Doctor Strange use the time stone to travel back in time and do something to prevent Thanos from even getting this far. He does a couple times earlier in the movie. 
he tries to use the time stone, but he's sort of prevented from using it. And so there's an indication that like he might be trying to reverse time. But there's moments where he has the ability to reverse time, and it doesn't seem like he's using it. So if you guys know why that was the case, then let me know. Of course, the reason for that is because it makes the movie super boring if you can constantly reverse time to make up for your mistakes. Um, but I think that time travel is one of those devices, and we've seen this time and time again in stories, is that if not very carefully managed, the question will always be, hey, wait a second, why didn't he just reverse time? Why didn't he just go back and like change the world so that he, you know, he would have known things that he could have done to prevent Thanos from achieving his goals, but of course he doesn't do that. Now, granted, you could say maybe in all the potential futures he's looking at, he's also looking at all the potential pasts as well. And that's maybe the case, but the film doesn't really tell us that too much. And just for just for context too, when we wrote Time Slingers, Nathan and I, Nathan's the illustrator and the co-writer on that book, we had to come up with a bunch of rules to, just to make time travel work. And that's the same thing that we'll have to see in Infinity War and everything that comes after that as well as some some rules for how time travel works in this world. The next key inflection point is an outstanding one, and I think we could probably call this inflection point the midpoint. Um, Although, like I said, I don't think this fits the paradigm perfectly. But I think that the basic next inflection point, which is amazing, is Thanos sacrificing Gamora in order to get the Soul Stone. Why is it fantastic? Because it not only impacts the plot, Thanos gets what is possibly the most powerful of the Infinity Stones. You have to tell me if you think I'm wrong about that. It seems like it's the most powerful. It's one of the most powerful for sure. But also because it's a huge character moment. I said this on the Infinity Gauntlet podcast when we were talking about the comic. The best inflection points play a significant role in moving the plot forward and showcasing the character changes as well. So not only is the plot pushed forward here, this particular action is going to test Thanos' resolve. Gamora even calls it when she says that Thanos doesn't love anything or or anyone. Except, guess what? He does. He loves her. And that's something that was revealed about Thanos' character that we would not have otherwise known. And that means that Thanos is put in a place where he has to sacrifice something he loves, probably one of the only things he loves, in order to achieve his goal. Um... But obviously, he's so consumed by his goal, and he wants to achieve that despite whatever feelings he has, and that he thinks that feelings are basically just going to get in the way of that goal. So he murders Gamora in order to get the Soul Stone, which he does in turn receive. So it's a fantastic inflection point, because not only does it move the plot forward, now he has a new stone and needs to move forward into getting another stone. Not only that, but... He has to murder the only thing that he loves, the only person that he loves in order to get that stone. So it tells us something. It drives the plot forward. At the same time, it drives Thanos' character arc forward. So that means it's a really strong inflection point, at least in my mind. As we get past that inflection point and head into the second half of Act 2, Thor gets Stormbreaker, making him super powerful. But also the battle for Vision's Mind Stone starts up in Wakanda. But before Thanos gets to Wakanda, he actually goes to visit Titan. And subsequently, we get a battle between him and most of the Guardians of the Galaxy and Nebula, Spidey, Doctor Strange, Iron Man. They're all going to fight Thanos. And I just have to make a note here, too. Like, as we look at these inflection points and we look at this storytelling, I mean, Infinity War has so many amazing battles. 
All these battles are compelling. They're interesting. They all have a moment in them that stands out as being super cool. There are really great action sequences throughout the entire film. I mean, this is really, really a special film in regards to how fast the pacing is and how much these battles actually matter because there's consequences to losing the battles. So Spidey, Doctor Strange, Peter Quill, Mantis, Drax, Nebula, and Tony almost managed to take the Infinity Gauntlet from Thanos. And in that battle, we actually learn that Thanos is truly mourning the loss of Gamora. That was something that indeed did take a toll on him. And of course, Peter Quill learns that Gamora is dead and starts punching Thanos in the face. So there's a lot of emotional trauma tied into this battle as well. It's not just that the battle is going on and that someone has an objective, but we learn that the characters are experiencing pretty intense emotions as they go through these battles. Thanos almost kills everyone who's left over. He even drops a moon on top of Iron Man, which is, can we pause for a second? Thanos pulls a moon out of orbit and drops it on top of Iron Man. That is ridiculous. And then as we move on and and, and Thanos is basically almost about to kill Tony Stark, Doctor Strange offers Thanos the time stone in exchange for Tony's life, and Thanos agrees to that. One interesting thing here that I do want to point out is that earlier in the film, Doctor Strange did say that he would let Peter Parker and Tony die in order to protect the Time Stone. But in this case, as Thanos is about to kill Tony Stark, Doctor Strange just offers it up to him. He's like, hey, take this instead of killing Tony. Now, we know that Doctor Strange has seen the future and probably has to think to himself, oh, Tony's got to live in this scenario in order for us to achieve that one way of defeating Thanos. We know that basically what Doctor Strange is saying is, I've seen all of these ways uh, that we could win. I'm not important to this battle right now. Tony is important to this battle right now, so you can just take the stone from me. He already knows what the outcome's going to be. He's already seen this. So I I found that really interesting, that that was kind of orchestrated by him. He's going back on what he said he was going to do earlier, which is kind of fascinating. So the Avengers are all doing pretty well back in Wakanda. Um, so well that they actually managed to kill all of Thanos' cronies. But then, of course, Thanos shows up, and Thanos has the Time Stone. He's got the other five stones. All he needs is one more stone, and that's the next inflection point, is Thanos arriving in Wakanda. And in my, to my mind, in my perspective, I think that Thanos' Thanos's arrival in Wakanda is basically plot point Two. So when we talk about the um, the paradigm, and we talked about this in the Infinity Gauntlet, there are basically three inflection points. You've got plot point one, which is at the act, which is um, you've got plot point one, which is at the end of Act One. You've got the midpoint, which is like kind of dead center in the in the middle of the film, and then you've got plot point two, which is at the end of Act Two, and it kind of drives the conflict to its resolution. Well, obviously, what we've been talking about is that this doesn't really follow that pattern very well and that there's a lot of different inflection points. And those inflection points are constantly moving the story forward. But if we were going to pick one inflection point out and say, like, that's the most representative of plot point two, I think that Thanos's arrival, basically him taking the time stone and arriving in Wakanda, is essentially what would be the plot point two. Thanos has 
all the all the stones besides the mind stone that he's going to try and get from Vision. So he's super powerful, and he needs that one last uh, mind stone. So in order to get the mind stone, we're going to drive this story to its resolution and its conclusion, and it's the last inflection point that leads us to that. So Act Three, we'll call this Act Three then, and this is where this is where we're going to see a resolution to this story. It starts off with several Avengers attempting to prevent Thanos from getting to Vision, and Scarlet Witch is trying to destroy the Mind Stone while it's still in Vision's head. Um, and then obviously this giant battle ensues. Everybody, he, <laughs> Thanos is going through everybody step by step. Um, Banner's not able to do anything, even in the Hulkbuster armor. Black Panther isn't able to do anything. Cap has a brief moment wherein he he looks like he surprises Thanos to an extent, but then even Cap is tossed aside. Then as Thanos approaches Wanda and Vision, Wanda manages to destroy the Mind Stone, killing Vision in the process. And then she starts to mourn the sudden loss of Vision. But then Thanos reminds us he has the Time Stone. He just reverses time, knocks Scarlet Witch out of the way, and tears the Mind Stone out of Vision's forehead. Vision dies. Thanos adds the last stone to the Infinity Gauntlet, completes it. This is all about uh, the Avengers trying to prevent Thanos from achieving his goal. Thanos wants to uh, eradicate half the world's, half the universe's population. And we still have one more hero out there who had his own hero's arc, his own hero's journey, trying to get back his giant weapon, Stormbreaker, and Thor shows up. And so you've got this moment where the protagonist is basically on his way to achieving his goal, and the last most powerful antagonist shows up with his new powerful weapon and just drives it straight into Thanos' chest. You should have gone for the head. It's a terrible Thanos impersonation, but there it is. And then he snaps his fingers, and the rest is history. Half the population goes away. Now, it's interesting because Thor could have gone for the head, or he could have even chopped off Thanos' arm. Either way, he would have prevented that snap. Is Thor as responsible for Thanos winning as Peter Quill was? Ooh, that's a good question for you guys. Let me know what you think. Thor, actually, his pride, which has consistently been a problem for, for Thor in the past, he's thinking he's powerful enough to strike Thanos in the chest. And in the end, though, it prevents the Avengers from winning here. So he should have gone for either the head or even chopping off his arm. Of course, Thanos does snap his fingers. He accomplishes his goal. Half the people, sentient beings at least, are eradicated, turning into dust, probably being sent to the Soul Stone, though we don't know that. Some of the deaths here in this resolution are really brutal, particularly Groot's and Spidey's. That is really gut-wrenching stuff. Um, So the conclusion of this film, Act 3 concludes with... Thanos, looking exhausted but satisfied on another planet. He's taking in a view of a rich, thriving landscape, no doubt a sign that people will not overuse the universe's resources and in the process uh, wipe out all life. So in other words, Thanos is trying to prevent the destruction of all life by destroying half the life in the universe so that we don't utilize all the resources and then eventually kill ourselves. So that's it. That's Infinity War. Um, and just really quick, just to just to call this out, the people who we see vanish are Bucky, Black Panther, Groot, Wanda, Falcon, Mantis, Drax, Quill, 
Doctor Strange, Peter Parker, Nick Fury, Maria Hill. So those last two are in the after credit scene. But those are all the people we see die. And that means for Endgame, who's left in the story as we the story continues forward into this sort of second half of the story, who do we have left? Well, we have Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Bruce Banner, Black Widow, Rocket Raccoon, Hawkeye, Captain Marvel, War Machine, Okoye, and Nebula. If I miss anybody in those lists, let me know. But that's what we're left with looking forward to Endgame. And since we're kind of in the middle of this bigger arching narrative, it's interesting to see where those characters are at in their arcs and where they could be going in the next film. So that's it. That is the plot and structure breakdown for Infinity War. You can see it has a lot of inflection points, a lot more inflection points than Sid Field's paradigm would suggest. Every time Thanos goes and gets an Infinity Stone, it basically serves as an inflection point. There's a lot of emotion along the way. Characters are dying at each of the inflection points. So there's emotional stakes as well as plot stakes or as well as moving the plot forward. And that is a really good sign that your screenplay or that your story is moving in the right direction. So I'd love to hear what your take on that, but this is really well-crafted story. Despite the fact that I'm a fan of Sid Field's paradigm, I'm really glad that they did not use it in this case. So let's take a really quick look before we close out the podcast. Let's take a really quick look at the premise. So we've broken down the plot, but what compelling message about the human experience can we draw out of Infinity War? It feels like a pretty complex film, which obviously if you listen to our Dig Deeper podcast, you would know uh, it is. it can get real deep in this film, which is really interesting because there's so much action and yet there's depth we can pull out of it as well, which is really, really cool. If I were going to choose a central premise of the film, though, I would point to ruthless pursuit of success compromises our character. Ruthless pursuit of success compromises our character. Why do I think that's the premise? Well, let's break this down. The story is about Thanos, so the premise is likely to be about his character arc. There's not a lot of character development in Thanos. He starts out powerful and ruthless. He ends up even more powerful and ruthless, although there is a sense that he's maybe somewhat at peace. The character development he does experience revolves around his resolve. Will he overcome the obstacles in his way to achieve success? The one obstacle he doesn't expect is having to sacrifice something he loves in order to achieve the soul stone. But as Thanos himself says several different times, that sacrifice took a big toll on him. And Mantis even confirms that when she reads his emotional state. So a lot of people argue about whether or not Thanos is right to pursue his goal. After all, if left unchecked, the sentient population could literally drive itself into extinction. But the premise isn't about Thanos' goal. It's about finding shared truth in the human experience, which is, again, I think, ruthless pursuit of success compromises our character. Let's like break down each of those words. The first word I used here was ruthless, and that's a critical word. Pursuit of success doesn't always compromise our character, but ruthless pursuit often does because it means the person will win at any cost. The end, to them, justifies the means. And when that mindset takes hold, character suffers. Thanos succeeds, but at a very high cost. Not only to other people, but to himself. He loses, the, he loses one of the only, perhaps the only thing he loves, Gamora. So the premise can't be 
plug away at your goal and you'll succeed. I don't believe that's the takeaway at all. It's not, hey, you should work really hard to achieve your goals and sacrifice as much as possible. I don't think that's the premise because it doesn't sit well with us that he has to compromise something that he loves and sacrifice something that he really, really, really loves. So some might argue that ruthlessness is required and that we all have to sacrifice something to succeed. My only counter argument to that is maybe so, but if it impacts our character, we're in a really, really bad place. Think of how many politicians and business leaders have compromised themselves in the ruthless pursuit of success. They've given up their integrity, their honesty, their empathy, or whatever other elements of character they once possessed. So without the word ruthless, I don't think this premise would be as universal. So that's critical. Also, I defined character a bit there, but let's unpack that a little bit more. What do I mean by character and how might our character be compromised? What makes up our character? So I found an article on success.com that has a pretty good breakdown of the important elements of personal character. And it's sort of perfect because they're basically defining what success should look like if the word ruthless is taken out of the definition. So here are the elements of character that they bring up. They bring up integrity, honesty, loyalty, self-sacrifice, accountability, and self-control. Okay, really quick again, integrity, honesty, loyalty, self-sacrifice, accountability, self-control. I'm sure we could find other definitions too, but let's just say for the sake of the argument that these elements of character are the ones we're going to assess. Um, Which one of these elements did Thanos compromise? So in other words, in that term of ruthless pursuit, not just pursuit of your goals, but ruthless pursuit of your goals compromises character, then what elements of character based on these um, did Thanos compromise? Well, he didn't really compromise on integrity. Not really. He told people that he was going to do what he's going to do from the very beginning of the film. Um, Ebony Ma probably broke that rule when he would pontificate about what was going to happen to the people Thanos was killing. But, and I guess you could argue that Thanos was there in the room with him and he could have corrected him. But I think that we'll assume that Thanos maintained his integrity. He said he was going to set out to kill half the population of the universe and therefore save it. Um, And that's what he stuck to the entire time. What about self-control? I'll give him a pass on self-control, actually, because he does seem to showcase that he's in control at all times. It's a shady creepy self-control, but it does appear to be there. Okay, how about honesty? I do believe he compromised his honesty because I don't think he was honest with Gamora about how much he loved her. She certainly didn't know that he loved her, but I'll give him a pass on this one too. Maybe he wasn't dishonest so much as not forthcoming, so we'll we'll give him a pass there. Self-sacrifice. Okay, so self-sacrifice is one of the elements of character. Self-sacrifice is an interesting one. In my opinion, he's not self-sacrificial at all. In fact, everything that Thanos does is selfish. He's pursuing his one-sided view of what needs to happen despite what everyone thinks he should do. Now, granted, if you say, well, he was a little bit self-sacrificial because he sacrificed the one thing he loved, I would say, yeah, but it was still so that he could get his way. He hurt himself emotionally, but in the process, he hurt Gamora, and he didn't necessarily need to. He could have given up on his goal and not been there, but he was too ruthless to give up that goal. Accountability? Well, he's literally not accountable to anybody, so that's an automatic failure right there. And then finally, we can take loyalty. 
And this one is a total failure for him. He's not loyal to anything or anyone besides his goal. The biggest example of this is murdering his own daughter. How disloyal can you possibly get, right? So now you can argue that he's saving future generations, and I let you have that point, but I wouldn't call that loyalty because only his cronies agree that that's a good goal. Nobody else agrees that it's a good goal. So to quickly recap, in regards to these six elements of character, Thanos' ruthlessness causes him to falter on at least three elements of character, and I would argue that it's more like four out of the six. Even if you give him self-control and integrity, which I'm willing to do, I don't think there's any way that he maintains self-sacrifice. I don't think he's completely honest. I don't think he's accountable to anyone. He's certainly not accountable to anyone. And finally, he fails at loyalty as well. So, encapsulating all of those things together, we get our premise and we get the the human experience related to Infinity War, related to our own experience in the world, and that is ruthless pursuit of success compromises our character. The word ruthless must be in that sentence because pursuit of success in and of itself is not bad, but sometimes if you're willing to do whatever you need to do to get to success, even if that means compromising your character, then that's a ruthless pursuit of that. And I think it fits the bill of the story really well. So love to hear what you think. Send me an email. Leave me a comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether or not you think that is the premise of this film. Ruthless pursuit of success compromises our character. All right, well, that's it. We broke down the plot and premise of Infinity War. And I have to say, I love this film. I think both the structure of the film and the premise are both fantastic. It's really well done. Excellent work by the writers, the producers, the directors. Excellent work all around. All the visual stuff is amazing. Obviously, those are all my interpretations in regards to this story, but I'd love to hear what you think. So shoot me an email or leave me a comment at thestorygeeks.com or even go to our Facebook group. Leave me a comment there. Hopefully, you've already listened to our Dig Deeper episode on Infinity War. Um, I think it was a really fun podcast to record, so I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. So now you can head over to thestorygeeks.com. And if you become a supporter at the $2 a month tier, you can unlock all the premium content like today's Aftercast. On today's Aftercast, I'm going to be taking a look at all of the different characters and their needs and wants for their exploring Infinity War as a story. So that should be really good times. I hope you'll become a supporter and check that out. I also hope you enjoyed this story breakdown. Let me know what story you want me to break down next. A comic, a movie, whatever it is. Just remember, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. <laughs>